You can find more information, photos and advice sheets on all the plants and recipes that we talk about in this podcast by heading to the links in the show notes or on our website at sarahraven.com. Welcome to Grow, Cook, Eat, Arrange, the podcast of me, Sarah Raven, and normally Arthur Parkinson, but he's on holiday this week, and I am joined by David Rowley from Hepfield Place. And I just want to explain quickly how I met him. So David is the head market gardener at Heckfield, which is a really wonderful, very luxurious, but also very, very beautiful and with an incredible aesthetic hotel. And it's quite near Basingstoke, so it's sort of going towards the west. And I went there for a mega treat with my two daughters. And because I love growing vegetables and flowers, I asked if I could meet David, who is the head grower. And I had the most wonderful morning with him walking around the whole growing area. Uh, I just was so inspired in the polytunnels and in the fields seeing what they were growing that I thought it would be fun to have David talking about things for autumn sowing that are really great for winter use but particularly for spring and summer that coming into flower or or cropping sooner so we're going to cover flowers and vegetables. Welcome David it's lovely to have you on the podcast. It's lovely to be here with you, Sarah. Such a pleasure. Brilliant. So will you tell us a little bit about your path to Heckfield, you know, how you got into gardening? I mean, you're not from the UK. Can you just describe a little bit about your background? I can indeed. And actually, my accent is deceiving because I'm originally British born down in Southampton Mm. and then uh, went through normal schooling and then went on to study horticulture at Hadlow College down in Kent. And then uh, from there, moved from uh, just outside of Hadlow over to the States, where I was initially a uh, you know bona fide chemical grower, growing in hydroponics and the other you know normal commercial systems. Yeah. And I uh, started to see very quickly that the the staff that I was working with didn't want to eat the foods that we were growing. Mm-hmm. So that led me to uh, applying some of the techniques that I had you know learned of in college and throughout my uh, horticultural career to organic agriculture. Yeah. And then eventually started my own business called Monks at Nursery about three hours north of New York City mm-hmm. over in the States. And I ran that for about 20 years. Wow. So certified organic since day one. And then uh, eventually, after talking to several of my fellow farmers in the upper Hudson Valley there, learned about biodynamics. And uh, so then converted my farm from being a certified organic farm into being a biodynamic farm. Will you talk to us a little bit about that? Certainly. So, biodynamics is a a style of agriculture, horticulture, introduced by Rudolf Steiner in 1924. And it it really started from a group of concerned farmers approaching Rudolf Steiner, saying we have all of these new tools, chemical tools available to us in the fields that are basically killing off things that we don't want to have. Mm. And the, the concerned farmers were saying that if we were to use these practices repeatedly, okay, maybe it's great for our generation, but then what happens for the next generation where there's even less wildlife and, and soil life to work with? And then the following generation. And then what happens, you know, 10 years, 100 years, 1,000 years in the future? Mm. What will be left for our future generations to work with? So Rudolf Steiner took this information and uh, converted it over into the, the eight agriculture lectures. 
which are a, a framework uh, quite broad, or very broad in fact, to allow agriculture and horticulture to coexist with the planet that's around them and actually encourage uh, lots of the forces that we you know, are somewhat sensitive to but maybe things that we can't necessarily record in a normal scientific level. Mm, like? So, for example, we, uh, we will put on, uh, we'll do the Three Kings preparation on Epiphany on the 6th of January, and we're taking gold, frankincense, and myrrh, and we're stirring in, into a solution, a suspension, and we're putting them around the perimeter of the farm so that the farm has a, a skin, a sense of self, which for us as people, it, it works very well as a teamwork, activity we have you know people from the hotel or people from the farm or people from the market garden mm. all exploring where are the different areas you know how far can you walk in one direction before you get to the end of the farm mm. so from a team building perspective it works very well and from a biodynamic sense we're giving the the farm a boundary a skin and then we're encouraging all of the life that we of course can see but then all of the the sentient beings that we can't necessarily see as a nice welcoming place where they can uh you know, thrive and live and enjoy their time here. Right, right. It's it's quite challenging, isn't it, <laughs> for, for someone like me who's quite science based. But the thing is, what I've always found about biodynamics, and whenever I visit biodynamic veg plots or market gardens or farms, the produce is just so unbelievably healthy and thriving and productive and beautiful, and that's what sort of persuades me that it's not sort of slightly kooky, it's kind of, it just seems to work. So we do quite a lot of guest tours from the hotel, from Hatfield Place Hotel here, and this question comes up quite a lot. You know, where is the science behind biodynamics? And I say, okay, from a you know, entirely practical standpoint, an interesting comparison might be if we have an MP3 or a, a CD recording of an orchestra playing, it's about as good a quality as we can possibly fathom through our ears. Yes. Yet when we go to an auditorium and hear an orchestra perform, even if we close our eyes, the sense, the experience is entirely different. Yes. So yes. there's definitely some things that are not measurable yet in our scientific world that we can experience as people. Yes. So when we apply that to growing in biodynamics versus organic or conventional production, we start to have an idea that there are things that we're not measuring yes. that we do sense, as you quite quite nicely said, the um, the qualities that the plants express in a biodynamic production scenario on a biodynamic farm, mm. they're exceptional. The mm. way that the head lettuces twist out of the ground and present themselves, is it's just spectacular. Yeah, yeah. Okay, great. Well, what I would love to move on to are the things that you are concentrating on on sowing now. So I suppose maybe we'll start with the veg because Sky mm -hmm. is in charge of designing the menu there and you have Jane Scotter from Vern Vero who's very involved as well, isn't she? But so what are the things veg-wise that you're doing and then we'll move on to the flowers. Fantastic. So this is, you know, in the, the part of the world where we are in southern England, we get to a point in the year around the middle of November where we enter the Persephone period, so the days are day length, the time the sun is shining, mm. is less than 10 hours a day. Mm. And so we are now planning for that period. So we want to have the plants grown and ready to harvest from the polytunnels or somewhat from outside too, so that when we get to the middle of November, we're not trying to grow them anymore, we're just really picking what's there. Mm. So we have this uh, real golden opportunity from the beginning of, you know, middle of August, beginning of September, to grow kind of as much as we can to fit into that 
fairly short window of opportunity so that things are ready for us to pick, of course, all the way through the winter. Yes. For example, we have, uh, at the moment, of course, we're still picking the cucumbers, tomatoes, aubergines and peppers from the polytunnels. Yeah. But we want to be prepared for when that those crops have finished, when we run out of temperature and day length for those crops, that we can remove them from the polytunnels and transplant as much into the soils that are in there so that we're ready for that period. So things like, uh, you know, beautiful winter spinach or uh, even the red vein spinaches, those things do exceptionally well if they're transplanted into the polys around the middle of October. Mm. So about three or four weeks ahead of that, we want to put the seeds in the soil. So that comes right into that, you know, beginning of September type time period. Absolutely. Which is always a little bit counterintuitive because spinach is a, such a cold loving crop. Mm. And there we are, the beginning of September, it's quite warm. So to try and keep it cool is, of course, quite challenging. Yeah. But there are many other um, winter greens that we can add to that winter salad mix that the hotel and, uh, and other restaurants absolutely love to use. Yeah. Like the Rapunzel or Marshall corn salad or Claytonia, Minitina. The land cresses for a nice fiery bite to a salad. Yeah. And then, of course, the uh, the beautiful, almost like tennis racket-shaped leaves of tatsoi, which I think is becoming more and more popular now. Yes, I love tatsoi. And then, of course, the uh, the brassica salad. So we've got the golden frills and the purple frills, mm. red giant, and then, uh, of course, mizuna. But there's a, another variety of mizuna called Miss America, which is a, a red variety of mizuna that's quite spectacular. Mm. And then... Uh, for direct seeding, sometime in September, towards the end of September, we will put in a whole group of the different salad rockets. So we'll have uh, nice tangy leaves going through. And slightly before that, we'll do uh, one or two beds of carrots so that we have, again, ample growing time for, you know, perhaps three or four different varieties, different colors of carrots to go in. So again, they can grow through. And then starting around the middle of November, early December, we'll have, you know, young, fresh carrots to harvest rather than you know, relying on the, the bigger ones from outside. Wow, you see, I've never done carrots as late as this. That's amazing. So that, that would still work for like Christmas carrots. It does work ever so well for a, particularly yeah. the multicolored baby carrots. <gasps> yeah. Brilliant. And then once they've had their, you know, if you allow the polytunnels to get cold enough, after they've had that cold snap, then they'll be deliciously sweet as well. Fantastic. Also, we're seeding into modules, things like pak choy and escarole. Yeah, uh, and you know, a, an absolute favourite of mine is red vein sorrel because yeah. this plant is—it's so lovely to eat all through the winter. It looks so lovely on the plate, mm -hmm. and of course, as soon as it gets hot in you know in the polytunnel in April, it tends to lose some of that deliciousness. But all through the winter, the leaves are just fantastic. Yeah, great. We've got that's so many good ideas. Well, I, I'm doing lots of those, but I'm certainly going to be adding carrots to my sewing program. So can we move on to the flowers now? Because I, I just want to quickly do a preamble, which is when I was in the hotel a couple of months ago, the most spectacularly simple, stylish and beautiful thing was these vast, towering, literally eight-foot vases of Amimagus. And I grow Ami, but I tend to use it more as a mixer, you know, as a sort of filler. And I just, it really inspired me to go back to that idea that there's nothing nicer than a huge vase of cow parsley. But with Ami, of course, it doesn't drop its petals in the same way as cow parsley. And I thought that was so inspiring. And I know the point of why they were so tall is that they were autumn sown, weren't they? They were in the very late autumn. So even late September, early October, just to get the uh, the seed germinated 
and you know it's starting to get past its first true leaves yeah. and uh, ready for transplanting into the poly. It can even go in at the beginning of February, so you know it's an unusual one for its uh, its growth habits. Yes, and really to get that that full on as long as you can before you get to midsummer, before you get to the the middle of June, to get as much growth on it as possible before it senses that the day length is changing and starts to go into its flowering habit. Yeah, and uh, yeah, just beautiful display. Yeah, wonderful, wonderful, wonderful. Really nice. And what else are you flower wise? Are you autumn sowing? So autumn sowing, we have, uh, of course, ranunculus and anemone that we all put into module trays, into cell trays, mm -hmm. and then transplant into the polys uh, mm -hmm. in maybe early to mid-November. Okay. Um, but actually seeding-wise, we are just seeding now our Icelandic poppies. Yes. Another one for either late, late in the season or early, early next spring would be the Dorcas Carota Dara because that puts on such a magnificent display. Ah, oh, okay, and, good. Uh, it's such a, uh, a habitat for all of the wildlife too. As soon as it goes over to flower, the, the flowers are just buzzing with bees. Mm. Amazing. Mm. Um, we're also seeding Dianthus bobatus, so Sweet Williams. Yes. Um, we're seeding, we will seed forget-me-nots. Ah, so the biennials you're doing late. Yeah, a little bit late, but uh, we're still doing them now. Yeah. And of course, such a lovely presentation is Honesty, so Lunaria Annua. Yes. Yeah. And uh, I'm sure you're familiar with that. But, you know, in its first year, it can be harvested for its nice scented flowers. And then the second year for those beautiful dried displays of the, the moon-shaped Lunarias. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And do you do cornflowers? We tend to seed cornflowers very early in uh, in the glass houses, so they'll be seeded around the beginning of February. Okay. Also, for the the autumn time seeding or early autumn, we'll do Campanula medium, so the ah, bells yeah. of Ireland type flowers. Yes. Also, quite lovely, and um, the sweet rocket too. Do you do the Campanula as potted plants or as cut flowers or both? Uh, we generally do them as cut flowers, so mm -hmm. we'll grow them as plugs, maybe even into a nine centimeter before we plant them out. Mm -hmm. and let them grow. Okay. But of course, I mean, you've been up to the hotel and you've seen some of the displays that we are putting together for our, you know, container programs up there. Yeah. We are cheating a little bit by growing uh, growing containers down on the farm here and then switching them out with the beautiful display vases that are up there. So. Well, they look absolutely wonderful. I mean, the thing that I find so inspiring is um, not so much using the mixed arrangements. I mean, that's what I felt was so lovely at Hetfield in, in, in the bathrooms and the bedrooms and in the sort of reception areas. Everything was just in glorious isolation. So, you know, whether it was a lily or the ammy or a foxglove, you had Pam's favorite, that lovely foxglove with the, with the purple throat. And they, they were always done on their own. And I think that is just uh, yeah, more stylish, more beautiful and more natural. I, I really love that. But it's great to have all those prompts of what we should sow. And if, if we were just for our listeners, just to maybe do two edibles and two ornamentals for those who have less time and less garden, what would be your two top ones for sowing in the next month or so? I would say if you have, uh, you know, a small covered space to grow in, my absolute favorite for the for eating would be any of the rockets. They're spectacular. They're very easy, fairly quick. And, uh, you know, you mix it with a little bit of feta, a little bit of balsamic vinegar, and goodness me, that is delicious. Yeah. And then another really easy one, again, for the, for the veg is the red vein sorrel, because 
even if you only grow it in little pots, you know, it puts on such a lovely display and it tastes so fantastic and keeps on giving and giving. Yeah. And would you always re-sow that every year or because it's actually perennial, isn't it? But, but you would take it out and re-sow it. It is perennial, but the, um, the young leaves when the plants are young are, the flavor is spectacular. Yeah. As the plants get uh, more, you know, progressively older, particularly in their second, third and, and subsequent years, especially after they've got into the habit of going to flower, yeah. those leaves uh, and their like sweet succulentness uh, are less available than they are from the new plants. Okay, that's a great tip. And the ornamentals? Ornamentals, I would have to say that bronze fennel is one of my absolute favorites. Just as an ornamental, first of all, but of course you can eat the young foliage, you can eat the flowers too, so it's a dual-purpose plant. It's absolutely stunning, Yeah. fairly easy to grow. And, uh, and puts on such a lovely display. And then my, uh, you know, favorite really is this Dorcas Carotidara, this, uh, mm. the Umbrella Fracy, this, uh, umbrella type flower structure mm. that lasts so long. It, it's so beautiful. Yeah. And both those last two, it's a good point to end on because they're both absolutely brilliant for pollinators, aren't they? I mean, they, they, they just couldn't they be really better. Are. So bronze fennel in the garden here is just humming with bees and hoverflies and um, butterflies at this time of year. And so is the Dorcas, which is, I think of it as sort of crimson ammy. You know, they're, they're kind of quite closely related, aren't they? They certainly are. They have both have that um, umbrella type flower structure that's, like you said, it's such an attractant to all the pollinators and to the, it's lovely to sit there and watch the hoverfly just come and kind of suck the nectar from the from the flowers absolutely beautiful exactly wonderful well it's been really nice to talk to you and just to tell everybody we're going to put all the details of our chat in the podcast notes and we're going to add a couple of Heckfield's autumn seasonal recipes so using perhaps rocket but certainly things that would be really good for cooking at this time of year that sky and jane and David will be collaborating on. So thank you so much, David, for joining us today. Oh, thank you so much, Sarah. It's been such a pleasure. And uh, thank you to all the listeners. And uh, look forward to uh, sharing salads with you all. Wonderful. Autumn sowing is really key, but bringing us back to not planning ahead, but actually what's looking fantastic now, it's dahlias, of course. And so next week, Arthur and I are going to highlight some new ones that we've discovered and talk about dahlia breeding and how you get from a field of dahlias, select them and then bring them back. And so you can name things like Rosie Raven, Molly Raven, Sarah Raven, Josie, and we have got one queuing up for Arthur Parkinson. See you then. You can find more information, photos and advice sheets on all the plants and recipes that we talk about in this podcast by heading to the links in the show notes or on our website at sarahaven.com.